I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our podcast edition of the program. I'm delighted to welcome Mario Nicholas to our show today. He is legal counsel for Lincoln Project. Thanks so much for joining me today, Mario. Thanks for having me, Alexander. Pleasure to uh, talk to you and your listeners. Mario, what are you most involved in at this point in protecting the election in this next two weeks before Election Day? You know, there's a lot of things that we're looking at from the Lincoln Project. Um, particularly some of the things that we're looking at right now is we filed an amicus brief in Texas regarding drop boxes um, and the number of drop boxes that could be used per county. We're also looking at various different uh, issues that are rising across the country, whether it's um, intimidation of voters who are trying to vote, um, whether it's uh, issues that voters are having with their absentee mail ballots, uh, whether it's um, the process for verification of those absentee ballots as they come in. Uh, you know, some, some of the issues that we see that are going to come up are certainly things like um, states that process their absentee ballots late and don't count them, don't begin processing them or counting them either until Election Day or until the um, or until just before Election Day. We think there's going to be um, certainly an issue about how fast those can be processed and counted and whether that can actually be done before uh, election night is over or whether that's going to take several days or weeks afterward. Um, You know, it just creates kind of a bottleneck situation where uh, absentee ballots that have been cast and that should be counted uh, might not be reported, at least through the media, uh, immediately, which certainly could lead to a whole bunch of questions uh, for people who are trying to watch and who want an answer on election night. There are many states that won't begin counting absentee or mail ballots until after election night. In fact, in some cases, days after election day, the election task force is a group of nonpartisan public officials who are committed to ensuring a free, fair, and transparent election outcome. Um, You're known, your outfit, the Lincoln Project, is known for its persuasive, compelling, hard-hitting advertisements on digital and television. But is there an important role for Lincoln Project to play in ensuring that there is no rat fucking that goes on in these days leading up to the election and then after election day when the ballots are being sorted? I think there's absolutely um, a place for us and a role for us um, for one reason, because our entire emphasis has been on talking to Republicans uh, who we think um, are amical to voting for Joe Biden, Um, you know, voting voting against Donald Trump and voting against um, members of Congress who have supported Donald Trump. That's that's what our mission has been from the very beginning, to root out Donald Trump and Trumpism. And we think it's really important that those people, um, people who we've talked to, have their ballots cast. Um, You know, (laughs) we spend a lot of time and put a lot of effort into making sure that those people understand uh, the, va- the vote that they're taking um, and get their ballots in and get their ballots counted. Now, uh, you know, we, we've actually begun um, kind of a new phase where we're starting to uh, do something called see something, say something, so that if people see voter uh, suppression or, or some sort of intimidation at the polls, um, you know, take a video of it and uh, submit it to us so that we can make sure to send it on or uh, make sure that authorities are aware of it. That's something that we're, uh, that's a program that we are just, uh, just now starting and getting up. Uh, in addition to that, you know, we, we see uh, in, if there are challenges and they go before the court, and there usually are on election day, um, and you, you can just look back to 2000 and the election 2000 and how many court challenges we have. 
we think we've got a unique voice um, that we could bring to some of those challenges. Um, whether we bring any challenges ourselves or whether we join in again as an amicus, simply as a group that is that actually represents Republicans and former Republicans um, who are you know voting against Trump and who want that uh, counted. It's it's something we did in Texas, and I think we did pretty effectively in Texas where they were asking for a preliminary injunction that was originally granted until the Fifth Circuit overturned that. Um, and the district court, though, at that level, cited to our amicus brief on a couple of occasions, um, demonstrating that you know limiting drop boxes to one per county, especially when you're talking about a county of four million, like Harris County, which is where Houston is, um, would, would actually uh, harm Republicans. It, it harms Republicans more in some of the voters that we are talking to because they tend to be older, so they're eligible for a absentee ballot in Texas. You have to be 65 or older or ill or some other reason. Um, and they tend to live farther away from those drop boxes. So we brought a unique voice to that case, and we think we bring a unique voice to future cases as well across the country, whether you're talking about Pennsylvania, whether you're talking about Wisconsin, whether you're talking about Arizona or Nevada. Um, we think that we have a, a an interest that is different than most other organizations out there um, and a valid interest that's important for the people who are voting uh, in the way that we've urged them to. If you watch the 60 Minutes segment on your important work, you know that uh, you and your colleagues have exposed the malign corruption uh, and the corruption of Trumpism that has infected the party apparatus, not necessarily the Republican voter, uh, but the party itself. So when we look at who is waging the lawsuits to suppress the vote, it is Trump-affiliated officials and supporting officials in various states around the country. And this leads me to this, this singular question, which is, what if they try to stop counting the votes? Not days after the election, uh, but on election night or just within 48 hours of election day. We would absolutely uh, interject. We, w- we would absolutely fight that. And we would fight to make sure that every vote is counted. Um, every, every vote that comes in that's cast should be counted. And that, that is the position of the Lincoln Project. And we understand why Trump is trying to do that. He can only win by subtraction. That's why you see him simply trying to divide um, people across the country. That's why you see them trying to uh, dissuade people from voting. That's why you see all of his supporters trying to uh, basically implement laws or rules that make it harder to vote is because the more people that vote, I think we all recognize uh, if there is a greater turnout in this election, uh, that means that there's less and less and less chance that Donald Trump will win simply because he has his supporters and he has no ability to reach out to other people. He is he has created such a, a distance between him and um, the vast majority of Americans that he he can't hope to win them over. He can only hope that they don't vote or hope to rig the election uh, so that their votes aren't counted. Um, we think that's fundamentally un-American. It is uh, detrimental to not just this election, but to democracy in our country. Um, and we will we will fight to make sure that that does not occur. In that fight to ensure that that does not occur, public education is going to be vital. So I suspect that the kind of PSAs that you've produced, um, which have been described as biting political theater, um, will continue if necessary 
beyond election day and election night to ensure that the American people had their votes counted. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, I, you know, it's, it's, we obviously all count down to election day. Um, but at the, uh, you know, the Lincoln project, we absolutely look at that and we see, well, you know, that's, that's the end of the first half. Um, it's not really, the job isn't done until January 21st, 2021. Um, and so you've got, I think, I believe an extra 78 days for that fight to continue until Joe Biden is sworn in as president is our ultimate goal. Um, so it, it's running through the finish line for us, um, means simply, um, making that next lap and, and continuing on, not just past, uh, not just ending on November 3rd, but fighting to make sure that all Americans votes are counted um, and that this is a full, fair, free election. What kind of legal protections do you think may need to be implemented during that transition if the president does not heed the electoral college will if vice president biden is the clear victor in the electoral college uh, do you think there will actually have to be legal protections implemented to to ensure a transfer of power that that is peaceful we were talking about legal protections for voters but what about for the country during that transitional period i think it's a great question because Donald Trump clearly has autocratic uh, tendencies. He he looks up towards uh, dictators across the uh, country, and that is one of the reasons why we have been so uh, so adamantly um, and, and profoundly uh, upset by the way that he has run this country, and why we are working so hard to make sure that he doesn't get another four years. Um, and autocrats across the world they they try to use um, you know whatever whatever tool they can to stay in power. Um, and oftentimes it's the military. Luckily for us, I think you've seen uh, multiple military leaders who have basically said we are playing no part whatsoever in this election. Um, and, and I think that's because, the, you know, our, our military men and women understand, um, you know, what's at stake for the country uh, when you have someone trying to use them um, in, a, in a way that that would simply protect one person's uh, need. And, um, you know, what they do and, and, and the service they provide um, is not to undermine democracy, it's to protect democracy. And I think all of our service members know that. Um, that said, you know, I, <laughs> if Donald Trump, you know, goes into his bunker and, um, you know, hides out there like he did um, during some of the protests earlier this fall um, and refuses to come out, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what exactly happens. My, my guess is my guess is it would be taken care of um, in a discreet fashion, um, but with Donald Trump, there's no such thing as discreet, I guess. So um, that said, I, I think, I think, you know, I, I'm not too worried about him trying to just physically remain there um, as the kicking and screaming that he's going to do on the way out. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a 74 year old toddler um, and the kind of fit that he's going to throw coming out, I think, you know, he's going to be looking for every camera that he can to get in front of, you know, and scream about how it was rigged and how it was stolen and how, um, this, you know, this is a corrupt fight, but I think he's going to do it while he's going out the door. Of course, there is the possibility that there are Trump supporters that are uncounted in these polls and that we could be surprised as the media and political establishment were in 2016. 
of course, if Donald Trump were to be reelected in a clear way that does not have any doubt about its its legitimacy, uh, we would not be able to achieve some of those most desperately needed new kind of Watergate era, uh, Trump era, good government reforms. Um, but if we are in the position to do that, you have in your capacity as an election lawyer and for the Lincoln Project, witness the shenanigans um, from start to finish. We're not at that finish point yet, but based on your experience navigating all the attempts to stymie voters, to disinform them, to get folks on the ballot who don't belong on the ballot because they didn't have adequate valid signatures, um, what kinds of reforms do you think will be necessary after 2020 to ensure that we revitalize our democratic processes and norms? Well, you know, I mean, I think, I think one of the, one of the key things that we've got to learn from, from this uh, election is the usefulness uh, of uh, mail uh, vote by mail and, and the processes that that goes into um, for a couple reasons. A, because it allows more people to vote. It gives easier access to the ballot. Uh, B, um, it has incredibly low rates of fraud. Um, you know, that was one of the things the district court in Texas cited our brief on is we pointed out that there had been exactly eight instances of um, voter fraud by absentee uh, mail ballots in the entire state of Texas over the past eight years. Um, and so you see uh, you have very low fraud. But also, I mean, I think it's important to note that vote by mail has a huge impact on turnout. I live in the state of Colorado. Colorado has universal mail balloting and we have uh, for the past six years. Uh, and, and it works like clockwork. And the processes we have are safe and secure. Uh, the way that it works is we get every voter gets mailed their, uh, their ballot um, and they get mailed several weeks before the election. Uh, you mark your ballot, you can send it in, or you can go to one of many different drop boxes that we have and drop it off directly if you're concerned about the U.S. Postal Service. Um, and, and then they get counted. But the really neat thing about it as well is that you can actually check online in Colorado, and, and other states do this as well, you can check online to make sure that your ballot has been received um, and that it's being counted. Um, and one of the reasons you can do that is because Colorado starts processing its um, its mail, uh, its vote by mail ballots um, weeks ahead of time. So I believe they're going to start on Monday processing all of the ballots that have been cast. Uh, so they have that lead time. And so you can check to see if your ballot has been counted, received and counted. Um, and if you find out that it hasn't been, you can go to your, you've got plenty of time to go to your clerk and cast another ballot, cast a provisional ballot. Um, just assuming that maybe it got lost in the mail or something happened to it, it actually got destroyed. Um, that's why we have provisional ballots is for those sorts of instances. But states that don't have that sort of protection, that don't allow that sort of tracking, you don't know that your ballot actually got um, counted. You don't know that it got received and there's no way to figure that out. So I think states across the country, that's, that's one reform that I think we could absolutely push is making sure that more states adopt that universal vote by mail method. Um, so that we have those procedures in place that not only makes voting safer and easier for people, um, and, and I'm not just talking in a pandemic you know, era or a pandemic year, but in general is safer and easier, um, but also allows people to check in on their, their vote to make sure that it's been received, to make sure that it's been counted. 
um, and getting procedures in place so that states are counting them earlier um, or at least processing them earlier uh, to make sure um, that everyone who is trying to cast a ballot and have their, um, you know, their own personal stake in our democracy counted has that happen. That's that, that'd be the reform that I think I would look at, you know, at the, at the very top. Um, obviously there are other reforms that people look at about, well, the veracity of claims or not. The problem is that is it often gets into um, an issue of first amendment rights or not. Now, Russian bots and trolls don't have first amendment rights. So, um, looking to see how we can quell that sort of, um, uh, voice in the future is something that I think we have to look at, but I, I think private companies have been doing that as well. Twitter, um, has been doing that obviously. So is places like, um, um, you know, YouTube, I'm sure is looking at that and to some extent Facebook as, as well. So, um, but I, I think that's more of a, a private area than, than, you know, a, a matter of private companies looking at that rather than government enforcement. Um, you know, obviously I think that there's uh, a host of other issues that we have to look at, um, you know, in, in some areas that see a, a an increase in voter um, suppression or voter intimidation. Uh, I think we should probably revisit some of the laws that we have regarding voter intimidation. You see a lot more white nationalists that are out there in groups um, that are out there talking right now about showing up at polls to intimidate voters. People need to be aware that's a felony. You know, you go to jail for that. And I don't know that we, we have highlighted that enough. And I don't know that prosecutors have been strong enough about anyone involved in any sort of uh, voter intimidation, but I, I think they need to be made uh, a point of. I think I think they need to be prosecuted, and if we don't have laws that are making that easy enough, that's a reform we need to look at. How do we make sure that anyone who is intimidating voters um, faces the consequences and is held accountable? That's certainly not something that Attorney General Barr has mentioned, and in, in, uh, even though it's been plain in sight, uh, not just the intimidation of the governor of Michigan and the kidnapping plot against her, but um, the hostility uh, and physical intimidation of voters. Uh, so I, I'm heartened to hear you suggest that that is on your mind for reform. What about the process of um, getting names on the ballot? Uh, you were involved in responding to some of the efforts um, to get folks on the ballots who did not have the proper signatures and who were really um, a puppet for the Republican Party, Republican operatives working with Kanye West. Uh, Was this issue limited to Kanye West? Because we know that in 2016, Russian disinformation exploited the Libertarian and Green parties as well. And they had an outsized influence on the process, largely due to the bots and trolls. So what about um, on the ballot in Colorado, Kanye West is sitting. Um, In other states, he failed to do that. In in several swing states, he failed to do that. Are there reforms that are needed on the statewide level uh, to ensure that folks are getting on the ballot um, with due diligence and in, in a way that is not um, supporting the interests of another political party. You know, that's always a kind of a tough line um, to, to, to really draw, uh, Alexander. And the reason is because I, I think that there are a lot of people who might be on the ballot who legitimately have some support, not a lot, um, but some support. You know, we, you, you could look at having some sort of um, a requirement that maybe a, to be via a candidate to be viable has to cross, you know, one, two, 3% in public polling or something of that nature. But 
Um, you know, I, I'm always hesitant to to keep people uh, ballot access off. I think what needs to be clear, though, is if you're going to access the ballot, you can't do so through fraudulent means. And that, that's that's exactly what you're talking about with Kanye West is, um, you know, the, the court threw him out um, in Wisconsin because they turned in their ballots. Um, depending on who you believe, 14 seconds late or a minute late or five minutes late. Um, and so they threw it out right there. But there was a question about the fact that some of the signatures that they included on there were Mickey Mouse and Bernie Sanders and Kanye West himself. Um, and so what were patently fraudulent, um, uh, patently fraudulent signatures to put him on the ballot. And I, I think, I think you definitely have to have reforms where, um, you know, prosecutors are not willing to tolerate that anymore. That, that if you do take advantage of that, then you are fundamentally undermining our democracy um, and and there should be consequences for it. Mario, shouldn't there also be a requirement for the ambassadors of third party or independent party candidates to be nonpartisan so that there can't be Republican election officials who are basically helping Kanye West get on the ballot? Well, I think I think I think I draw a distinction there because I, people can change, and I mean, I, I know lots of Republicans who become libertarians. You know, and they'll, they'll change. Um, I myself personally went from Republican to unaffiliated, and and so I, I would be hesitant to put it there. But I'll tell you what you do have to look at is if these are actually Republicans who are actually being paid by, like, say, the Republican National Committee or Donald J. Trump, and and they're getting money from them while at the same time trying to put someone like Kanye on the ballot. Um, we do have laws against that. It's, it's actually a, you're not allowed to coordinate between those types of, uh, can, you know, third party candidates and uh, a major party or major party's candidate. And, you know, again, I, the enforcement of that has been so lax. And we know that there were folks who were Trump electors or connected to the campaign. And we knew that, you know, this was, this was Roger Stone's pulling the strings, uh, or if not Stone someone in the Trump orbit. I mean, that it hasn't been fully investigated, but I think you're right to point out that it's it maybe not about the party and about affiliation with another candidate who's also on the ticket and deliberate attempt to sti- siphon votes away from that person. That doesn't, that seems like rat fucking and not authentic democracy. Yeah. Last question, Mario. You are part of this brave cohort, Steve Schmidt. Um, Stevens, Wilson, Madrid, Gallen. Um, and Steve Schmidt said on 60 Minutes, he lost friends uh, through standing up for uh, his country um, over party and really over Donald Trump. The Lincoln Project's whole manifesto or thesis is, is America, not Trump. What I alluded to before, which is the idea that we could be surprised in 2020, as we were in 2016, by the fact that Joe Biden was unable to capture enough Republican support, whether that's in the suburbs or in rural America, and that there was a there was a basic flaw in Biden's message, and that is that we are still base politics, and that base politics is more potent than any attempt to harmonize a coalition with former Republicans. In your conversations with some of your Republican friends, is there any evidence that the Lincoln Project and that the Biden campaign may be overplaying its hand when it comes to winning uh, Republican voters? 
No, I, I think I think that we, we, we certainly don't think we're overplaying our hand. I think, you know, we, we had a small target to begin with that we were trying to convince. And we knew, and, and in fact, Steve Bannon himself pointed to the Link project when we first started and said, if they're able to pale off 2%, 3% um, of Republicans, then, you know, that's it. Trump can't win. And, and that's always been our goal. I think we've been more effective than that. I think, I think we have um, been far more effective. I think there are a lot of Republicans who just, um, while they have Republican ideologies and, and philosophies and beliefs, um, they just can't stand this president, um, not only because of his personality, but because of the fact that he's just simply not conservative. He's just he's he's antithetical to conservatives in a lot of different ways when you actually look at the way he acts and the policies um, that he sometimes implements and, you know, the the wild spending that he engages in. Um, um, so, I mean, I, I think I think we have actually been very effective in getting many voters to to vote um, for Joe Biden. And, and I think one of the things that you see here is, and one of the big things to focus on is the number of voters um, who don't particularly like either candidate, um, but are going to vote for Joe Biden. And, and overwhelmingly, you see that break right now is if they don't really like either candidate, they're going to vote for Joe Biden. Four years ago, when when voters didn't like either candidate, they broke for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. It's almost reversed this time. And in, in that, if you add those to the Democratic base, we think it makes it very, very effective. And, and we think that a lot of those people who don't like either, but who are choosing Biden, uh, we think that our ads and our communications um, and the education that we've engaged in has been very effective for, keep, for pushing those people towards Biden. Um, Mario so- Nicholas, legal counsel for the Lincoln Project. Thank you so much for your insight today. Thank you for having me on, Alexander.